as I was preparing this week, I, I had a real sense of where I was going. And, and, and what I wanted to do today was explain to you guys why, why are we doing this series in the Holy Spirit? You know, what's the point? Um, why does he matter? Why should we study him? And, and you know, I, I had these reasons, and we're going to see some of them today. Uh, we want to experience more of his presence. We want to experience more of his power. But what was wonderful to me is as I was preparing with those agendas in mind, and I've got those in here, points two and three, I felt like he kind of superimposed point one <laughs> into, my, into my plan, kind of pushed these other guys back to two and three. So really the question I want to ask is, is why are we pursuing the Holy Spirit in this series? Why does he matter for us as a church? Why this series in the Holy Spirit? And before we get to because we need more of his presence and we, mean, we need more of his power, I'm burdened to just let you know that point one is we're doing this because the Holy Spirit is God and he deserves it. The Holy Spirit is God Almighty, and He deserves your reflection. He deserves your study. He deserves your prayerful thought and concentration. And of course, then, it's for us. It's for us enjoying His presence. And it's for the power to enjoy in the gifts and the fruit He brings. But I was excited and nourished and fed to just, I feel like, hear from Him. Saying, Albert... Study me because I'm worth it, because I deserve it, apart from you and what you get out of it, which are good things. I'm God. If you're like me, maybe you're not, a lot of people aren't, (laughs) you don't think as much of the godness of the Holy Spirit as you might think about the godness, the deity of the Father and the Son. It's just easier to relate to the Father as God and think of him. And, and, and of course, we're so well taught about gospel-centered church and, and God the Son. But the Holy Spirit is a little bit more abstract. You know, I, I know what a father looks like. I know what a son looks like. Spirit, it's harder to get my hands around. But the Spirit is not some impersonal force that binds all things together. As Alec Guinness, if you're not sure. I mean, maybe we can say he does hold all things together, right? But he does, not it. He is God Almighty. And yes, a large part of the Holy Spirit's ministry is drawing our attention to Jesus. He loves to do that. And we want to be careful to not set up false dichotomies between Jesus and the Holy Spirit as if they're in a turf war with each other, right? I mean, when Jesus is being glorified, the Spirit is humming and he's making that happen. And when the spirit is being enjoyed and experienced, Jesus is saying, that's exactly why I died and rose and and came to my father's right hand so that you would experience the Holy Spirit. They're very much on the same team, so much so that they're one and the same. The spirit is called the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is called the Spirit of God. The Spirit is called the Spirit of Jesus. And so one of the tough things when you're trying to do a series on one of the persons of the Trinity, you just can't help stepping into all of them. You know, they just, you can't have one without the other, literally. But as God, I'm excited because I do feel like this is the right time to spend a series 
You know, we're not going to every Sunday be the Holy Spirit Church for the next 17 years. We just talk about the Holy Spirit. That's not, you know, that's not what the, I don't believe that's what the Spirit wants. He takes what is mine, Jesus says, and glorifies me. But I believe he is pleased to have a season where he will receive prayerful study and attention, devotion, and affection, Lord willing. Just as God the Father and God the Son deserve it, so does he. And as I prepared for this message and considered all the ways the Bible honors him as God, I sensed in my own spirit his delight that we would reverence him and be grateful for him. So we study him, first of all, because he's God. And God deserves our attention. Consider for a moment the godness of the Holy Spirit over just a smidgen of passages. In Genesis 1, verse 2, as God the Father begins his great creative act over all creation, we're told, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the deep. He is God, and he is God's creative power. Job 33, 4, Job declares, the Spirit of God has made me. Listen, non-deities don't make. They don't make people. The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. The Spirit was the one who, who gave Samson his strength, who gave Saul his strength, who gave David his strength. So throughout the Old Testament, the Spirit is an agent of power and strength. Translating who God is into the experience of his people. Moving into the New Testament, Luke one thirty-five, we hear Mary ask, How will she, a virgin, come to have a son? Gabriel says, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, because the Spirit of God will come upon you, rather, because the Holy Spirit, Gabriel says, will come upon you, this child will be called the Son of God. All because the Holy Spirit is coming upon you. In Matthew 28, when Jesus gives the Great Commission, he proclaims this. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. Baptizing them in the name, singular, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. One name, one God, three persons, equal in honor and dignity and glory and worth. And here's a sobering story. In Acts 5, a couple of new believers in Ananias and Sapphira, they lie about giving more money than they did in order to look good in front of people. And God strikes them both dead to protect the baby church. But before that happens, Peter says this, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit, he says? You have not lied to men, but to God. And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last. And to his wife, Peter says this, Why is it that you have agreed together to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test? 
And likewise, she fell dead. You don't mess with the Holy Spirit because you're messing with God when you mess with the Holy Spirit. Because he is God Almighty. We could go on and on through the New Testament. We could go back through the Old. But the point here is we need to go no further than the fact that the Holy Spirit with the Father and the Son is to be worshipped and glorified. He is to be worshipped and glorified. He is to be thought about. He is to be meditated on. He is to be reflected on. And I think for me, you know, it, we'll talk about this more over this series, but, but because we know the Holy Spirit can sometimes be misused or abused or confused, we're scared. We want to be careful not to get too crazy. And we don't want to get too crazy. Paul wrote to the Corinthians about not getting too crazy. But it's not because he wanted them to ignore the Spirit, because he wanted them to honor the Spirit. So, really, we could stop here today and just say there's, there's no better reason for this series than this. We need to worship and glorify and honor the Holy Spirit as God. And he's worthy of our attention, our devotion. And it's going to be good and rich to learn more about him. And for those of us who know more about him than I do, and I'm sure you're out there, just to, to re-engage with him. But secondly, we want to do this series on the Holy Spirit because of what the Holy Spirit does. Because of what he does. And man... You know, Andrew, in my helping me with my notes this week. Chris helped me with my notes last week. It's just, there's too much, right? We're not going to cover it all in, in eight weeks. I'm not certainly going to tip the iceberg today. But knowing the Holy Spirit is God means we know that he does stuff that's absolutely essential and absolutely miraculous and powerful. And so we want to study the Holy Spirit because we want to learn more about what he does and who he is. Wayne Grudem gives the definition of what the Holy Spirit does that I think is so clear and so helpful. He says this, the work of the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit does is to manifest the active presence of God in the world and especially in the church. The work of the Holy Spirit is to manifest the active presence of God in the world and especially the church. The Holy Spirit is the member of the Trinity who now in this age manifests the presence of the Father and the Son to us. The Holy Spirit is the member of the Trinity who in this age makes real, makes experiential, makes thinkable, feelable, wantable, longable, God to us. God in the person of himself, the Holy Spirit, but God in the person of the Son and God in the person of the Father. This was so important for us that Jesus left the earth so this could be the priority right now in this age. In John 14, he's letting the disciples know that he's leaving and going back to the Father and he promises, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And in that day you will know that I'm in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. And they're very sad, they're very confused. But Jesus says a few moments later, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. 
For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. It's better for Jesus not to be here right now. I mean, that should break our calculators, right? Like, we, we would all think, like, how awesome it would be if Jesus was doing security for the CM down there. You know, we could just walk around the hall and he'd wear, oh, I'm not going to do that. Talk about him wearing one of those hats. That's not good. But, but yeah, we, we all, we'd love to ride home with Jesus right next to us, right? I mean, after we had some time to think about it. Because <laughs> it would also be pretty intimidating. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. That's not the best thing for you in this age right now. The best thing for me is to go up back to my father and work from up there and manifest myself to you in your innermost being through the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. That's better for you. Basically, Jesus is telling them that the point of the cross and the resurrection, the ascension for us right now in this age is to get the Holy Spirit in here. And get him working in our hearts and through the church into the world. And he gives us this glorious new title. It was so awesome to hear Tanja talk about this today. I think it was Tanja. I mean, I was just bawled over by it. The things that she was saying. Because... Because Jesus has gone to the Father and he's not here right now. And I don't understand all that, but he said it. It's better if I go away because if I don't go away, you're not going to get the helper. But because we get the helper, you have one of the most glorious titles I've, I, I've come across. I mean, I, I just, I thought about this title this week and I was just like, man i got to think of my brothers and sisters this way. Because Jesus went to the Father and sent the Spirit into you, your title, Mr. Dietrich, your title, Mr. Wilson, your title, Rebecca, your title, Deb, is Temple of the Holy Spirit. And everybody else in this room who knows Jesus, Temple of the Holy Spirit, Matthew, Temple of the Holy Spirit, Julie. What do you call yourself? Junior in college? That has a nice ring to it. Very free. A lot of options. Whole life ahead of you. Starbucks barista? That sounds hip. Pretty cool. Um, Cool earrings and tattoos and stuff. Accountant? Very responsible. Very focused. Very committed. Good for you. Mom? Even better. Dad, wonderful. What a privilege, right? But how about this, though? How about saying to yourself, I am a temple of the Holy Spirit. I am a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in me, who I have from God, and I am not my own. And we all together in this church, together with all believers everywhere, we make up this giant temple of the Holy Spirit. But individually, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. It's humbling. In some ways, it's, man, I fall so short of that. But listen, he knows that. 
In 1 Corinthians 6, he's talking to people who struggle with prostitution, people who struggle with lying and slandering, people who struggle with homosexuality, he's people who struggle with, with adultery, people who struggle with, with arrogance. And he says to them, you guys are temples of the Holy Spirit. Grow away from that stuff. Come back to Jesus. Don't, don't you know what you are? You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. I'm not putting that on hold until you figure this stuff out and get your... No, no, no. You were saved. You were sanctified. That's what you are. Even with your mess right now. Even with your backtracking, Corinthians. That's what you are. And the work of the Holy Spirit in you as a temple, as the building place where God dwells, is not just to have God be inaccessible to you and unexperienceable by you. No, he wants to shine his glory in your heart, in your soul. He wants to, as Grudem says, manifest his active presence in you and through you. That is extraordinary. It's extraordinary what God has for us. Now, I want to double down for a few moments on the work of the Holy Spirit at salvation, more specifically for a moment. I think partly because I'm pretty sure it's good for you, but I also know that I might be a little bit of a wonky nerd here on this and pulling some seminary stuff together that I just can't, you know, we'll find out. The guys will tell me later. But it's good. It's truth. So, so we're going to go for it. Well, I want to talk more about what the Holy Spirit does for a few moments. We talked about wanting to understand what he does. What he does when he saves you. What he has done to you and what he continues to do. And when I was in seminary, I learned a little acronym that I never forgot. It's called RIBS. R-I-B-S. Is David Freeman here? David, do you remember RIBS? No? Okay. Andrew? Nope. Okay. They went to kind of seminaries that I go to, and so I was thinking, okay, so ribs, ribs, ribs is this attempt to describe in, in an acronym the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer when we're saved, and of course, it's lingering effects for eternity. Now, don't think of ribs as sequential. Ribs is R-I-B-S, and don't think of them as, oh, there it is. You got it. But, but it's not like they happen one after another. I, I, I think spiritually they're all happening at the same time and they all blend into each other. You know, they're concentrically, circularly related. So part of R happens and part of I, part of B happens and part of S. But, but it does help to take them each one by one just to really try to really be precise about the amazing work the Holy Spirit does. R stands for regenerates. The Spirit regenerates us. In John 3, in John 3, Jesus tells Nicodemus he must be born again. This is regeneration. Being made new is to be born again. Being made a new creature is what the Spirit does to you. Jesus says this happens by being born of the Spirit. Flesh is born of flesh, he says, but Spirit is born of Spirit. When we believe the gospel, when we, when we turn to Jesus for forgiveness and for new life, our invisible soul and our spirit, it moves from being dead to God and it, it becomes alive to God. 
We go from hating God through the power of the Holy Spirit's regenerating work to loving him. We go from wanting to run from God through the power of the Holy Spirit's regenerating work to wanting to run to him. From loving sin to hating it and wanting to destroy it. From not caring about his word or his people to depending on his word and wanting to love his people. That's what the Spirit does when he makes us new. It's regeneration. You were dead and now you're alive. The Holy Spirit does that. I stands for indwelling. And we talked a little bit about that, but being a temple of the Spirit. One of my favorite verses about indwelling is John 7, when Jesus says this, He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, from his innermost being. Way, 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 deep, deep, deep down in there, where there's nothing underneath. The very core of who you are will start to flow rivers. Of living water. And John says this he spoke of the spirit. Whom those who believed in him were to receive. The spirit not only makes us a new person. When he regenerates us. But he comes and unifies and gets himself intertwined. With our innermost being. And he stays there forever. Do you know what's in your innermost being? Saint. The Holy Spirit's in there. What an unbelievable privilege. B stands for baptism. Now, this is the trickiest one of ribs. And there's different perspectives about this. So we want to be charitable. You guys might have a different perspective than I've got here. Um, and I think to some degree, theologically, we're, we're all in process a little bit on, on B, on baptism. But in Acts 1-5, Jesus says to the disciples, John baptized with water, but before many days you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is alluding to the day of Pentecost when Jesus, at the Father's right hand, would release the Holy Spirit over all his people. Basically, Jesus is saying, listen, John drenched you with water. You were covered head to toe. Not an inch of you was left untouched or not consumed. You were immersed in it. I'm going to immerse you in my very own spirit. And many things were involved that first Pentecost. Acts says that wind and fire announced this miracle. Symbols of power. Symbols of purifying grace. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And, And all the disciples began to speak all kinds of foreign languages that they'd never learned before. To a huge crowd from many nations. And Peter, the the coward who denied Christ three times, he was filled with an incredible new power for boldness. And he witnesses to the crowd by the power of the Holy Spirit that he'd never had that way before. And he tells them, this is what Joel predicted in the Old Testament when he says that in the last days, God says, I will pour out my Holy Spirit on all mankind. Men and women. No more just the Jews. No more focused on the men who can get into the center of the temple. No, men and women and all nations. And they're going to see visions. They're going to dream dreams. Everybody's across these nations. Are going to, they're going to prophesy. They're going to tell the truth about me. And then there's another aspect to spirit baptism that's taken into account in 1 Corinthians 12. Where we see that, that the spirit baptizes us into one body. Whether we're Jews or Greeks or slaves or free, black or white, we're all made to drink of one spirit. 
and put into one body together. So putting all this together, I believe the baptism of the Spirit is this inaugural event in which we are placed into Christ at salvation. We're placed into his church at salvation. We're indwelt and empowered by his Holy Spirit. And again, there's different perspectives. Um, I think sometimes that, that it's kind of like that. Have you ever heard of that story about people touching a part of the elephant and somebody says, I, you know, I, this is a tail in this room and someone touches the leg and says, oh, it's, no, there's a leg in this room. And they're all touching the same thing, but they're, they're just engaging different aspects of it. And I think sometimes that goes on with, with the question of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But we'll talk more about it as the series moves on. Finally, S, the Spirit seals at salvation. He seals I believe it's first Peter in him. You also who have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and have believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, which is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire the possession of it to the praise of his glory. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit. What's that mean? Sealed. It's the most beautiful promise. It means that that you're secure. In God. That the Spirit comes to live inside you and, and, and you're shut in to him. You, you, you can't lose him. David prayed in Psalm 51, take not your Holy Spirit from me. The born-again Christian, in, in literalness, can't experience that. We can still pray it as, as, a, as a psalmic song to say, God, I, I don't want to grieve your spirit. I don't, want to have, I don't want to have him be dampened in my heart. But he's not leaving. He has sealed himself to you. A Roman would seal an official letter or a document with a wax seal and signify that it was authentic. And it was a seal of security, too. There was authority to that seal. And nobody would mess around with it and break it open. And since we belong to God through the power of the Holy Spirit now, God is going to make sure that the Spirit is never taken away from us because that would be an insult to the work that Jesus did on the cross when he paid for every last one of our sins. So that the Spirit would never have to leave us. You know, kind of as we, as we land this plane, probably going to skip section three here because of time. And I want us to have some time to pray. I want to come back to this idea from Grudem that's so important. That the Holy Spirit manifests God's active presence in the church and in our lives. In chapter 1 of Greer's book, and I forgot to mention, when we do these messages, we're going to try to find chapters in here, sections in here, that we might want to encourage you to read into, to follow up more. And also, discussion questions for care groups and for your devotions will be sent out um, before the week. So on Mondays, I have them today um, for you. But in this book, Greer tells this story about this sense of coming to the end of himself in the first chapter as a Christian. He was burdened with the work of being a Christian. He was feeling condemned and spent. And absent to him, for, for really for his whole Christian experience, was this great sense of power and joy that he sees in the New Testament. And he's fed up. He's worked hard for God, but he didn't sense God's presence or power as he thought he should. And, of course, the whole book is about God giving him knowledge to turn that around and, and him trying to bring that knowledge to us. And I know that that happens to all of us, and sometimes it happens to us 
again, after we've had experiences with the Holy Spirit. But, but here's what I want to say. A dry desert, no sense of God's presence or power or joy, I don't think it should be settled for by any of God's children. And I know there are complications with depression and discouragement and biochemistry and seasons of extreme trial where God has just decided to let us be there. Um, obviously, there are complications when sin's involved and we, we quench the spirit, we grieve the spirit, and he withdraws joy from us and peace from us until we return to him. So I know there's trials and sicknesses and things that aren't our fault, and sometimes there are things that are our fault, but, but I just want to encourage us that I don't believe that's what God wants us to settle for. That I don't think that's what God's heart is for us as his children. That he wants us to pursue abundant life that he came to give us and to experience him. That he gave us his spirit to experience him in relationship, in experience, as scary as that might sound. When David says, as the deer pants for the water brooks, my soul pants for you, O God. That is not dry orthodoxy. Right? That's not... I, I memorized my Iwana verse this week. I'm good. When he says, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? When? When am I going to get to appear before him? Oh, I love him. I need him. David is saying, I want him more than anything. When David says, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. When David says, your love, it's better than my life. It's better than anything. He is experiencing God. And that's what God wants for us all. When Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. And in that day, you will know that I am in you. He's not talking about, I had my quiet time and not another thought about God for the rest of the day. Or, or whatever, you know. <laughs> Any, any life lived with, with passions apart from God. Any life lived with, with hopeless fears apart from God. God's not got that for us. He came that we might have his life abundantly. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man opens, I will eat with him. I will have fellowship with him. When Paul says, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, I consider everything else in my life a loss, rubbish. Nothing compares to knowing him. When he says, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul is saying, Christ Jesus has so much affection. And I experience that, Paul says. I know it. I feel it. He loves me. And he, he, is, and he is lovely. And I delight in him. All these words are testifying to an experiential relationship with God that is filled with friendship, with emotion, and with a sense of intimacy. Jesus died and rose to the Father's right hand to give us that. And it's, it, it can be tricky. We are talking about a relationship with someone that's invisible. 
can't touch, we can't hug. But God overcomes it. He gets closer than hugs and kisses and pats on the back. He wraps himself around your innermost being. And so we can have a deeper relationship with him through his Holy Spirit. Do we need any better proof of that? That through the Holy Spirit, God wants us to have an intimate relationship with him, to experience his love. Any more proof do we need than Ephesians 3, 14 through 21, that prayer. We've been talking about that prayer since this summer. Where, God's, where Paul says, I pray that the Father would strengthen you by his Spirit in your innermost being. That the Father, first person, would strengthen you in your innermost being by his Spirit. Second person. Sorry, third person. <laughs> so that who? Christ would dwell in your heart by faith. But he would dwell there. And we might know and experience how high and wide and long and deep is the love of Christ for us. A love that surpasses knowledge that we might be overflowing. And Paul says he's able to do abundantly more than this. Than all we ask or imagine according to the power that works inside us. Who's he talking about? The power that works inside us. It's the Holy Spirit, I believe. It's why he gave us the Holy Spirit. So I just want to ask the band to come up and I want to close with this. Jesus said, I believe it's Luke 12. I don't have the verse in front of me, so if I'm wrong, please forgive me. But he said, Ask, and you will receive. Seek, and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. And everything I understand is, is keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking about those verbs. Keep after it, keep after it. And in that context, he says this. Which of you fathers, if his son asked for, I believe it's a snake, or a piece of bread would give him a snake. If he asked for a fish, would give him a stone. If you parents, Jesus says, who are evil, who are sinful, know how to give good gifts to your children when they ask. It's so just a beauty. It's not, that's not an insult. That's just like lowering the bar to make sure you feel welcome to say I need it. He is already admitting, I am here for evil people. I am here for people who struggle with sin. If you parents who are evil people, how, how lower can I make the, the threshold here? Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? 
Now I know those of us who are born again, we don't need to ask God for the Holy Spirit for the first time. But it is good, as Ephesians 3 tells us, to ask for more power from the Holy Spirit. To ask to be filled with more of the Holy Spirit. To, through the Holy Spirit, be able to see Jesus better. To, through the Holy Spirit, be able to bear his fruit more. To, through the Holy Spirit, be able to receive gifts. That we can bless his people more. That we need the presence and the power of God. To flourish and bear more and more fruit in our lives. That by the Spirit of God... We might put to death the deeds of the flesh. Hard-heartedness, selfishness, and put on tenderness and forgiveness. All that stuff Tanja was talking about. Boy, that prayer was just right here. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, we might bear the fruit of the Spirit. Love and patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and goodness and self-control. That fruit that doesn't come from you and me, it comes from Him. He's saying, if you parents aren't even up to snuff and you do good stuff for your kids, how much more do I want to give you more of my Holy Spirit, want to strengthen you by my Holy Spirit? So I just want to encourage you to take this time as we sing. Lord, Lord, fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit. Lead me into whatever it is that you might need me to see, to believe, to repent of, in order for me to make greater room in my heart for you. Come asking, trusting that he wants to do this. He's good. He's a good father. He wants to help you and help me. He can overcome what's in the way in you. So let's end this morning by just asking that God would strengthen us through his Holy Spirit, that he pour out refreshment of his Holy Spirit, that he fill us with more of his Holy Spirit as individuals and as a whole church together.